was praying for my mother-in-law yesterday as she starts a new journey that she's never lived her life without her siblings and her husband as an adult. And she lost her closest sister a couple of years ago. And, and to stand and hold her husband's hand a few days ago, and I was praying over her. Lord, let me see himself. I said, Jesus, where are you in this? And I had this picture go through my mind of her standing in their house that they were just about to put up um, for sale. So it's mostly cleaned out with lots of boxes. And she was leaning up against the island, just kind of leaning there. And I saw Jesus just standing with his arm around her shoulders, leaning in, and not like a grip of possessiveness, but like this stability, standing there around her. And the Lord said, do you remember those days when you guys would visit through? Or the days she visits you, and she's sitting, and she's pouring over the word. My father-in-law, Dr. Ray Easley, was a um, pastor and a, a dean of several seminaries and, and a teacher of teachers. And my mother-in-law, quieter, pours the word into her heart. And I have had some fabulous discussions over the years, being challenged by her challenges of theology and study that in no way does not equal my father-in-law's. But she just sees it as her time with her Jesus. And he was like, she's put the word, she's put my words in her heart. And that's the foundation she'll stand with now. Last week, Miles told our church body before this week that our church body, you know, this summer, we have a lot of people out of town right now. We have a lot of life going on. So it sometimes feels like there's very few of us or it's just a lot of the movement. But he said, you guys have been working hard to establish a foundation. Be careful what you build upon it. I want us to be careful what we build upon our foundations. Sometimes things have to die and be dismantled and taken apart and started again. Sometimes God has to call out the broken and the weak so that it becomes firm and healthy and whole. Sometimes God says, just keep standing. Just keep standing and just keep walking. But in all of that, I believe he says, let your praise be continually on your lips. Because he's not without the position of standing beside us with his arm around us. He's not. He hasn't been for our family. And he declares that he won't do this. He will do the same for you. Double negative there. He won't not do the same for you, right? So would you just pray with me over Brad this morning? as he has some thoughts and words that he wants to share with our body online and in person. We love you guys and are praying for you too. Don't y'all just love our worship team? As we've had people in and out, whoo, y'all. Do we have an update on our beloved drummer? He's home? Whoo.
praise Jesus, I believe that we will walk with him again here. <sighs> Jesus, I thank you for Brad. I thank you for what you've called him to say today and what you've called him to pour into his heart. Lord, keep him focused before you. We love you. Amen. Thanks for moving up to the front. I still can't CC you because of the lights, but I know you're right there. I can sense it. Uh, okay, so um, I just... Uh, I was telling, telling our worship team earlier, this feels a lot like Easter Sunday. If you were here Easter Sunday, it was um, one, of the, one of those sort of unscripted times that as a, as a pastor, preacher, you really kind of dread those times when, when Sunday rolls around and you don't really have a nice polished, crafted message to give. And especially on Easter Sunday, that's the one where you've got to have everything all done. You've got, you got the nice evangelistic message. And last Easter, I had nothing. It was just one of those hard weeks, a lot of pushback. Sat down with our worship team the morning of. I said, guys, i got nothing. So if there's, any, if, there's any, if there's any day to just let worship be unbridled, this is it. So I feel like it's kind of that way today. But, and, and even when the events of the week unfolded, there's a temptation to pass it off to someone else. But the Lord said, no. You know, go and just minister the word to your church family. So we're going to do that. Um, just a, a, kind of a quick update for those that, that you know, are, are not necessarily in, in the know or part of our church family. Um, um, my father, my, my dad, uh, 70 years old, um, he was here last week, was diagnosed about, about a month and a half ago with uh, a grade four glioblastoma, which is a, uh, an incurable, pretty fatal form of, of brain cancer. And uh, we learned we, that that happened in late June. He had the tumor removed uh, in early July. Meg and I were, were there for that. Um, and the, the course of treatment after removing the tumor is, of course, radiation and chemotherapy. And we would find out a lot about this uh, pretty horrible disease in the days to come. Uh, again, it's, 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 un, it's untreatable or it's, it's incurable. Uh, the average life expectancy for somebody with a glioblastoma is about 12 to 14 months. Untreated, it's about three to four months. Very, very few people survive more than two or three years with that. So we knew that was the outcome. We knew that was what we were, what we were looking at. And uh, my parents had, were already in the process of selling their home. They were going to downsize and get an RV and sort of go see the kids, you know, um, before this diagnosis. And since the diagnosis, they made the decision to, to move my dad down here with us so that he could do um, treatment at, uh, in here in Lexington. And Meg and I could assist sort of the back and forth with that. So they came down uh, about a week and a half ago, and we had some initial appointments at UK, getting him set up for chemo treatment radiation, which was to begin here in four days. Uh, and they had gone back to Indiana to sort of help get some other things at their house finalized. And um, last week he, and, and while he was here, they also diagnosed him with a blood clot in his lower right calf, and they put him on uh, Levoxin, blood thinner. Um, and as we would find out, uh, the, the blood thinner was working a little bit too well, and it was causing um, bleeding in the brain. And on Friday, about two or three days ago, he was complaining of a headache. They took him in, um, and sure enough, he had had a stroke, and there was bleeding in the brain, and he did not, uh, he did not recover from that on Friday. So, um, yeah, so my, my, my sister sort of um, is, is there, was there, and my mom were there, and it was a, 
it was a, it was an unexpected turn for the worse, and you know we've kind of been through a lot of ups and downs, roller coasters, and I don't I don't want I don't want today just to be a lot of you know those memories of how awesome my dad was. He was awesome, and I could spend a lot of time. And those of you that have met him, he's ministered here before. He's spoken here before. Um, there's just there's there's not not words enough to talk about his impact in my own life. Um, but I want to I do want to share with you just some thoughts regarding that this experience where we are and. Um, maybe tie some of those things into what I sense the Lord is saying to me. And you'll know that if you've been here long enough, you'll know that we are, we're a prophetic congregation. We believe in New Testament Christianity. We believe in, in um, supernatural power that God has given to his church. We sing about it. I believe in resurrection power. I believe in signs and wonders. We believe it. We've seen it. We see it all the time. We have our stories. Meg has an incredible story as well. My mom, 20 years ago, uh, had, a, had a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Um, aneurysm in her brain that ruptured. And again, the percent survival percentage of that is very, very low. And Meg and I were with her out in, in Denver, Colorado, and um, she survived and recovered from that and is, is, is doing quite well 20 years later. So we've seen God's hand do miracles. Um, we also know that, 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 that we, we live in a world where the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. It's a here, but not yet. That's, that's, kind of part of the theological framework of King's Church is we believe in a, in a kingdom that's here but not fully yet. Uh, meaning we have so much of the benefits of the kingdom of God. We have healing. We have uh, just miracles. We have all kinds of things that are happening around the world. We've heard stories about it. We, you know, if you talk to Miles Phelps, who was here last week, um, he'll tell you about, about some of the things that are happening around the world. Um, the dead are being raised all the time around the world. Miracles are happening all the time around the world. Supernatural things you only read about in the book of Acts. So we know that the kingdom is alive and present. It's advancing, it's moving. Um, but at the same time, it's still, uh, it's, it's still not fully here, meaning sometimes we don't get the miracle that we pray for and the miracle that we want for. So I began this journey with my mom and my dad um, with that tension in mind, wanting to see a miracle, believing for it, uh, but also aware that sometimes things don't end up the way that we want to. And I've been in a, in, in a season personally with the Lord um, of, of uh, the Lord is moving me away from what I call sort of shotgun prayers, blast them all kind of prayers, you know, like you just go in and you just start charging and rebuking every demon that you can find. And every time you see anointing, you just, or every time you see sickness, you believe that it's just, God will heal it right then and there. If you just have enough faith and you just pray everything. The Lord is moving me more away from that, more and more moving to a place of listen to what Jesus is saying that he wants to do. And then in faith, stand in agreement with that. I believe that's, that was the secret to Jesus' ministry. Jesus didn't just heal every sick person in Israel. Do you realize that? He didn't, he didn't heal every sick person uh, in Israel. But he did heal every sick person that the Father directed him to go to. And I think there's a big distinction in that. We, we must learn to listen to what the Father is saying to do for a situation and then stand in agreement and act in obedience to that. So in my own life, I'm shifting away from just, you know, wanted to kind of be like a, a one-man army taking on all, the, all, the, all the, the ugliness in the world just to being an errand boy on call for the Lord. So I began with this process with my dad to say, Lord, what do you want to do with my dad's situation? What is your heart for him? And that, that can be hard to hear with loved ones. 
I even prayed with my friend Chris, and we both heard, heard things uh, that, that we, we, we wrote down and we took to heart. We both heard words of healing over my dad. We both, and even the first time that this happened, when my dad had a, had a seizure, um, and he's you know, in a coma during that first time in late June, my friend Chris said, yes, I see your dad waking up. I'd see your dad sitting up in bed. And sure enough, 12 hours later, he was sitting up in bed. I was like, come on, Lord, you gave your word. We saw it come to pass, you know. Um, and, and Chris and I and others, we both had words about my dad's healing of this tumor, uh, you know. And so my, my posture has just been, um, Lord, what, where are you? What do you want to do in this situation? And I began to ask for a couple things. I began to ask, Lord, I want 20 years for my dad. Because I felt like that's, that's sort of that final chapter on life should be 20 years. He was 70 years old in the earlier this month. And I felt like, okay, God, I want two decades left with him. And I began to ask the Lord for that. But the Lord shifted my prayer away from that to, to, to this simple prayer. I said, Lord, what will, give you, what will give you the most glory in this? And I, I find myself in the last three or four years praying that prayer more than I realize. And a part of me shakes my head and says, that's such a churchy word. How cliche can you get, you know? Lord, you know, be glorified. It's such a cliche kind of thing. And the Lord's been revealing to me what, what his glory means and what it looks like. And the effect that his glory has on a community and on a culture and on the world. And the Lord had told us three years ago, when we started this church, he says, you concern yourself primarily with what brings me glory, nothing else, not with what's comfortable. And I wrote this down. I shared it with our leadership team. Don't concern yourself with what's comfortable, what's easy, what's popular, what's affordable. Concern yourself with what brings me the most glory. So I began to pray that over the last month, that, that I wanted to see God's glory be so manifest in this, that it was unmistakable. And we, I, be, you know, I just began to dream about this, I began to dream about what God's glory could look like. I began to dream that, that the doctor would go in and do surgery on the tumor and open up the brain and there's no tumor there. And he would be so astonished by this miracle that he would give his life to the Lord. It sounds kind of, sounds kind of funny, maybe laughing at me now, you know, but my faith was that strong that I saw Dr. Sartorius giving his life and then having a healing ministry and going around and his whole career being disrupted because of this. I was like, God, that's the kind of glory that I want to see, right? Or it just shakes the foundations of people's lives, you know? Um, so I, I began to pray that not knowing what that means, because we don't know. We don't know what greater glory looks like, you know? Um, so it, it, didn't, it didn't happen that way, obviously, you know? And, and I, I, something, something happened on, on Friday and all of that was sort of taken. And by an initial glance, it seems that the enemy has won. He was robbed of 20 years of his life. He was robbed of time with his grandchildren. His, you know, he was robbed of, of ministering to, to Haiti. Um, and more about that later. He was robbed of all of these things. He was robbed of, of just, of, of all of this. And it's just, a part of me says, it's so unfair. The enemy has won. Um, and I'm, I'm still processing this through. Um, but I want to direct us to something. And, and again, in, in thinking through today, I, I've been all over the place. I really have. I've been just struggling and trying to write down thoughts. And I went to David's life and I had some stuff on David. Even I woke up, I went to bed last night with just three things from David's life about worship and intimacy and warfare and all those other kind of things. And I thought that that's what I was going to do until this morning in worship. And the Lord says, go back to, uh, go back to Acts again and look at, the, look at this man. 
named Stephen. And it's like, but Lord, I already preached on Stephen like a month ago. I don't want to do that again. So I'm not going to preach the same thing, but I do want to point out a couple things in this that I think are appropriate to where we are and where the situation is. This is in the book of Acts. Um, Stephen in, in Acts chapter 7, go back and listen to this message. Um, in, in the month of June, we found ourselves in an unplanned series called Transfixed and Transformed. It's unplanned. We didn't plan it. We don't have any graphics for it. We didn't think about this. We didn't give it that title, only kind of as the Lord, the Spirit's been leading us through some of these stories in Acts, looking at these men who just were transfixed with a vision of God, a literal epiphany, an encounter, supernatural encounter with God that radically changed their life and their outlook, and it changed the church. And I, I sense the Lord was saying, King's Church, I want you to get gripped with the vision of me. I want you to get transfixed with my face and my presence. And I'm, I'm still feeling that way. And I, you know, I feel like we've been, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uncertainty in terms of what I'm, what I'm teaching on. We're supposed to do a finance series, Meg. Remember that? We're supposed to do a finance series in, in June. The Lord put the brakes on that. And I said, okay, Meg, we're going to, we're going to go back to India. We're going to go to camp in, in, in July. We're going to be able to write out this finance series. And that didn't happen. And the Lord says, why don't you just ask me what I want you to do? So we're actually going to kind of go back to uh, a series that began our church two and a half years ago um, called Indwelling, Hosting the Presence. How do we host the presence of God? It was a formational series in our very young church. We're a young church now. But the vast majority of you were not here. Marcy was here. Dave, uh, Ron and Betsy were here. That may be it. So we're going to go back to that because we need to hear it and you need to hear it because this is the DNA of who our church is. We are made to host the presence of God. In light of that, though, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, about, about Stephen this morning. Um, Stephen was an ordinary man with extraordinary, all that, yeah, go back and listen. Go back and, on, on YouTube or on Facebook. I'm, I'm not sure where it is. Go back to uh, one of those in, in June. Find that message uh, on Stephen. Listen to that. It's on Facebook before we switch to YouTube. Stephen was an ordinary man with an extraordinary love of Jesus. And we don't, we don't know anything else about him before this story in Acts. And we never hear of him again after the story of Acts. Stephen was not one of the 12. He was not an apostle you know, he's not one of the governing leaders of the church. He was actually what the Bible calls a deacon, a diaconos. He was, he, was a, he was a toilet scrubber. He was the ones who were kind of appointed, filled with the Spirit of God to help serve the practical needs of the church. You know, and I, I love that right away. Um, my, my dad was uh, a pastor and a teacher of teachers. And, but in many ways, he embodied the spirit of Stephen, just an ordinary man from the plains of Oklahoma who just said yes to Jesus way back when he was a skinny little rail thin kid with a crew cut. 
said, yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. I'll follow whatever you want to do. He had a good he had opportunity to go on, full ride scholarship, become a civil engineer. He said, no, I feel called to the ministry. He's going to go to the ministry, go to this no-name Bible college up in the Midwest. You know, okay, well, now that I'm doing what I do, well, I'm going to go to this no-name seminary and make, you know, uh, get, a, get, a, get a doctorate and then go to this no-name seminary and help teach pastors, you know, how to, how to be kingdom, cha- kingdom changers. Stephen was an ordinary man with extraordinary love of Jesus. And we're not going to go through the story. Um, but a couple things stand out to me. One was, this this we talked about a month ago, chapter 7, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. I want those words to define you, son and daughter of King's Church, to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be transfixed on the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. How do we know that that's what he saw? Because he says it. He is just, he's poured his guts out in this just incredible spirit-filled, you know, almost a spiritual indictment of these hard-hearted religious leaders. He calls him to account. And then he says, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing there, the right hand of God. He was transfixed. Um, here's the other thing that stands out to me. And, and they see this, they cover their ears, they yell at the top of their voices, they all rush in, they drag him out, they begin to stone him. This is awful, this is horrible. It's the first, you know, the first martyr in Christian history. And while they're stoning him, Stephen again prays. He prays this prayer of forgiveness, just like Jesus, Lord, receive my spirit. Don't, don't, don't hold this against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And here's what I wanted the rest of the chapter of Acts to say. Because what, I'm a, what I wanted it to say would have been in keeping with the ministry of Jesus and the spirit of Acts 1 through 7. I wanted it to say, and the disciples took him back to their place and they laid hands on him. And life returned to Stephen. And he stood up with power and authority and he continued in ministry. That's what I wanted it to say. And I wrestle with that. Why did they, why did, why did they not raise Stephen from the dead? We don't know if they did or they didn't, but I'm promising they probably tried to because they had been taught by Jesus to do this very thing. And we know that they have that power in Acts. They've been doing it. They're going to continue to do it. So my gut says they tried to do this very thing, that they brought him back weeping, their faces just brokenhearted for one of their own. It was covered with bruises and marred with blood, whose eyes are still transfixed. Even as life has left his body, his eyes are still transfixed on what he sees. And I bet they took him back and they cleaned him up and they wept over him and they laid hands and they prayed through the night and they called upon the name of the Lord. And they used every bit of resurrection power in their hearts and every bit of faith in their hearts to try to say, come back to us, wake up, wake up. But it didn't work. And I don't know why it didn't work. 
because the formula of the kingdom says it should work. And the question I ask is this, why, why, why did the enemy win in this case? Why did the enemy win in my dad's case? Or in your own case, the things that you've been through. We've had three deaths this in the last week just in our extended King's Church family. Whew, man. I was supposed to be at a funeral yesterday for DJ's mom. Jonathan and Jess are wrestling with, okay, well, you know, grandmother's funeral. How do, they, how do they deal with that? What do they do? Why does the enemy win when God is obviously so much stronger than he is? You know, and I, I, on Friday, so on Friday, you know, my mom calls me about 11 o'clock. Um, my mom calls me about 11 o'clock. She says, okay, you know, they're, 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 they're taking dad into to the hospital. They're going to, they did another CAT scan. They're going to, he's got a lot of bleeding on the brain. They're going to, they, they're not doing any kind of major surgical intervention. He just said that his age and his platelet levels are so low because of this. All they're going to do is try to put a, it's called a stent. Greg's that what it's called, where they kind of drain out fluid. They're going to try to put that in and see if they can drain, get some pressure off of the brain. She said, that's all they can really do. I said, okay, well, mom, you know, um, let me know how that goes. She said, we're going back to the hospital. Call me a little bit later. Um, and she said, Brad, it didn't work. The stent didn't work. There's no change. The, the final CAT scan reveals just as much pressure in there. Um, I said, she said, he's, he's not, he's not on life support. He's not intubated. He's breathing on his own, but he's in a deep coma. Um, she said, my Carrie and I are going back up there to, to say goodbye. I said, okay, well, call me, call me when you get there. Cause in my mind, I knew the time will come when I'll have to, to, to sort of practice my faith in the face of death. I was prepared for this. I was prepared for it a month and ago, you know, and rather would have been there in person to lay hands on my dad. And, and, and pray and believe for healing uh, or resurrection, whatever the case may be. I wasn't there, so I said, okay, the next best thing, mom, call me when you get there. So she did, it was 12 o'clock or so, midnight, you know, and I'm, um, so she called, I said, put, put the phone up next to dad's ear, and she did, and I could hear his sort of ragged breathing there, you know, and I just I began just to pray, you know, I just began to thank the Lord for him. I began to just call upon the Spirit of God to move in there and just begin to speak to his brain, to speak to the tissue, to speak to the, to the, to the blood vessels in there, to call them to account, to, to call, to command them with authority. And I believed it and I felt it. You know, we have authority. We don't, even if we don't feel it, we have it. It's there. We just have to walk in it. So I was taking authority over what Jesus is telling me to do, what I, what I sense I wanted to do. And I'm, at this stage, I'm not hearing clearly that Jesus is saying one thing or the other. So I'll be honest with you. When it comes to loved ones, it can be really hard to discern what's my own heart and what's the spirit of God. But the good news is that God honors faith. So I prayed over in probably 20 minutes, you know, and just after praying for healing, I prayed for supernatural encounters. I prayed that God would take him into the heavenly places, even as he was in that coma and just show him the sun, show him the, the beauty of Jesus, show him the face of the father, just minister to him, minister to mom. And after about 20 minutes, I just felt like my, my prayer was done. And we, we got off the phone and I said, well, call me back when things change. And I was expecting, I was expecting to call. I was expecting to finish sleeping. I was going to go to sleep. I was expecting mom to call back in the morning and say, Hey, your, your dad's still with us. He's still breathing on his own. Looks like the blood has gone down. So let's, I was expecting that to happen. I wasn't sort of militantly convinced of it, but 
kind of surprised when she called back a half hour later and said, Dad's gone. Very disappointed, very hurt, but not, not angry, but I was, I was kind of disappointed because I was expecting a miracle. I was expecting a turnaround. Um, so, you know, why did the enemy win? And in the last 24 hours, I feel like the Lord is pointing out a couple things to me. One, because the war is real. And I need you to hear this. Several, days, several weeks before, I was talking to my dad. My dad was wrestling with this himself, wrestling with the diagnosis. And my dad is not, he's a deeply spiritual person, obviously. Loves the Lord very, very much. He's given his life to ministry. But he's not, um, he would not consider himself like a, you know, a, to have prophetic giftings, you know. Um, this would be kind of kind of new to him. Um, but he said, Brad, I believe that, that what's happened to me is, is demonic attack. I said, Dad, what do you mean? He said, I think it's an, I th- he said, I think it's an attack from my work in Haiti. See, my dad has been involved in, in, the, work, in, in the island of Haiti for the last number of years. My brother has, has served at a, at a seminary in Capetian, Haiti. Many family or many other friends of the family have served there. My dad has invested the last five years of his life um, teaching at Emmaus Seminary in Capetian, Haiti, <laughs> traveling there. He served as dean. He has mentored the upcoming dean. He has just written curriculum, written programs. He's gone. Even as all this was going on, he's in the middle of a Zoom class. He has to, you know, he wants to pause chemotherapy so he can finish his Zoom class. He's like, Dad, you can't do that. No, you need to take care of yourself. He's like, can I still travel to Haiti? You know, that's what he asked the surgeon. Can I still go to Haiti? It's like, Dad, you got to slow down. Given his life to this. And the, the kind of students that, he's, that are in his cohort were not just small, you know, rural village pastors, which nothing wrong with that, but his particular cohort were potential educators and superintendents who are part of the Ministry of Education of Haiti. In other words, these were government leaders that will be responsible for the infrastructure and the curriculum for all of the education system of Haiti. And these 12 individuals were being mentored by my father. And of course, soon after this happens, you know the news, the, the, the president of Haiti is assassinated, and my dad begins to think, something is off about this. He said, I've never been in a hospital in my life, never had health issues, never had headaches. All of a sudden, this comes up, and here I am. And um, we're talking to, and uh, okay, I got time. Are you guys Okay. All right, bear with me here. I know, I promise, I know I'm all over the place. This is, this is not scripted, not planned. I just want to shoot from my heart a little bit, and I'll get to it. The war is real. I'm on that one point. There's two. The war is real. Here's why the war is real. So we were talking to some other friends. We were talking to a, a former um, American president of this, of, this, uh, of this seminary. My dad knows Matt very well. Uh, my brother Brian knows Matt very well, and Brian and Matt were talking and talking about my dad and the situation, and Matt said, I got to tell you a story, Brian, when I was down there. Um, when I was the president of Haiti, this is Matt, a young, young American, um, former president of the, of the seminary down in Haiti. He says, when I was down there, I was visiting with a hospital administrator. We were talking about things. And I asked this hospital administrator, I said, you know, he said, what, what's the leading cause of death here in your hospital? You know, is it tuberculosis? And the hospital administrator said, no. And he said, well, is it, you know, whatever, uh, I was going to say chlamydia, but that's not it. That's, uh, what's, what's, what, another tropical disease that you get. Malaria. malaria. 
<laughs> Come on, typhoid fever, malaria. Is it typhoid fever, malaria? No, 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 no. The doc, the, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. The hospital administrator said, no, it's none of those things. He said, and he said that the, the, the leading cause of death in our nation is voodoo. So that was a story that I heard via my brother and the former president of the seminary. Fast forward to yesterday. I'm talking to my friend, Chris Seeger Lewis. Chris says, Brad, I got to tell you this story too. He said, my father-in-law, um, Tom O'Neill was down in Haiti and I was talking to my father-in-law says, Chris, I know there's a lot of like hearsay. You got to bear with me here. My father-in-law was down in Haiti and he came back and he told me, and I was talking to my father-in-law about your dad says, Chris, he said he told the same story. He said he asked somebody down at the hospital, what's the cause? What, what are the causes of death? And the hospital doctor said, it's by far, it's curses in our nation. I know that not every sickness or disease or crisis is the direct cause of the enemy. Sometimes we're just living in a broken world where bad things happen because the world is just broken. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes we just get colds and we get the flu and we get diseases because it is what it is. But also know without a doubt that there is a, a war in the spiritual realm that manifests itself in the natural realm. Meg and I were faced with this last year when we had two goats on a slaughtered, systematically slaughtered and dismembered on our back property. We had part of natural, we had the wildlife. People come out, look at it and say, this is no animal. This is not a hunter who's field dressing this for meat. This is something by far more sinister is what they said to us. And the war is real, and the enemy has very real tactics that he uses. And I can't say this with absolute certainty. I don't know. My dad believed it. My dad believed that he was a casualty of the war that was happening in Haiti. And there's a war over this place as well. I've not... I'm not the only one that says this. Many people before us have said that this is a that, that this house is a thin space. It has a, it has a purpose and it has a destiny, and it's a thin space where heaven comes and touches earth. And because of that, this house and the people that serve here have been under attack in, in unprecedented ways. And former pastors have tragically lost loved ones. And relationships have been brutally attacked. And division has been catapulted to the public arena in this house. My first time coming to this place before we took ownership, we were coming for a prayer meeting. First prayer meeting we were ever going to have as a team. On my way here, and I'm rear-ended by a drunk driver going 45 miles an hour. 
not even on a big intersection. I'm talking about the service road between Lowe's and Walmart over here on Man of War. How do you get going 10 miles an hour, yet alone 45? I'll show you the photographs. I called up Bill. Bill came over and picked me up. I said, the war is intensifying. The war is real. And a sense that the Lord is, is, is giving us a warning and a promise that we're going to be moving into seasons of intensifying warfare. And I've, I've realized for myself that I, I'm not as equipped as I need to be. I'm not as aware as I need to be regarding warfare. That doesn't mean that I, our, our, doesn't mean that our whole vision and DNA, we're not, we're not shifting everything to become militant. We're not going to just go and become all weird deliverance ministry stuff all the time. I'm not. It's just, you know, we're, we're allowing Jesus to give us an insight into to things that are happening because here's why I believe that... Um, Why I believe that that's happening? Because I believe that the enemy can sense the coming glory of the Lord. He's not omniscient. We know that. He doesn't have all, all knowledge. But I believe the enemy can sense things that are happening in the atmosphere. He can sense the coming harvest and the coming revival that the Lord wants to bring in his beginning. And the enemy wants to disrupt that. So I believe he's intensifying the pressure. He's intensifying the, the warfare. And we tell people that are coming in to, 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 to be part of our team, you need to know when you sign on for King's Church, you're putting, a, you're putting a bullseye on your forehead. And I have to ask myself, am I willing to pay that cost? Well, my dad was willing to pay that cost. Because here's the second point. Suffering brings glory. And here's why I say that in Stephen's life. When they had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. That's not the good news. <laughs> and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You ever gone up to a campfire with all the coals sitting there? Can you imagine finding a campfire in a dry forest? Hot red coals. Coals are burning. It's beginning to singe the outer ring on the ground. It'd be easy to take a bucket of water and just dump it on that, wouldn't it? But what if you take your great big hiking boot and one big swift kick, you kick those coals as far as you can go? Guess what you're going to get? You need a raging wildfire is what you're going to get scattered the church thrives under persecution the glory is exponential through suffering so what I found myself weeping more for and this is the weirdest thing what I found myself weeping more for yesterday in the living room of my, my friend Chris's house I was not weeping for my dad 
Am I, am I going to do that? I'm sure I will. Am I going to miss him? Yes, I will. But I found myself weeping that just the glory of God would just be unbridled in our community. And that through suffering, we would see harvest. That in the spite of warfare, when our loved ones are fallen, that their blood would water the ground of a great harvest. Do I want suffering for you and your family? No, I don't. I love my family. I love my kids. I will fight tooth and nail against the enemy. But if the Lord calls us, to, calls us, calls me to lay down my life and my family for his glory, there is nothing else that we can say. But yes, Lord, I see the Lord. I believe that only comes when we are just transfixed. So sometimes we're going to be in that posture in the, in the season to come, I believe, and in our culture. You can tell the, the intensity of the spiritual warfare by what's happening in our culture. So there are times when he's going to call us to take ground, to be on the offensive, to advance the kingdom in power and authority. He's going to call us to do that. But be aware that all, there will also be times when our, when our comrades fall. And in this world, they may fall not to rise again. But God says, concern yourself with my glory. He says this to the sisters at Lazarus' funeral. Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I believe that. So that was my prayer for my dad. I don't know what that means. I thought great glory would be this incredible miracle, and he's giving testimony up on this stage of grade four glioblastoma, you know, totally dissolving and going on its way. That's not the case. But God has promised that you will see greater glory. He told that to me. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means for you. But that's what I'm committing myself to. Amen. Amen. Come on. I'm praying for you guys. We are praying for you. We love you. It's been a hard, it's been a hard two years. It's been a hard season. We're going to push back. We're going to stand together. If you're facing something, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens. Don't do it alone. Talk to us. Let us know. Don't feel like you're imposing your burdens on someone else. You know what? Everybody's got a burden. We all got one, and we're all going to share with one another. It's okay. Have grace. Let grace abound for us. Because sometimes in the suffering, we find that we're not our best selves. Sometimes we lash out, and we drop the ball, or we withdraw, and we pull in. We're not our best selves, but God is refining us, and he's purifying us, and he's testing us. So have grace for me. Have grace for Meg. Have grace for one another. God is doing something. God is, God is on the move, church. I believe it. Somebody said this over us in the last few days, that God is about to explode what he's doing in this house. And you're looking, some of you are looking around going, really? There's, a whole, uh, <laughs> there's not much to work with. Come on, God loves this. God loves this kind of tinderbox to ignite revival. He loves this kind of place to set a spark and to set a city on fire. Y'all, he's doing it. Come on. Let's stand up. I want to pray over you. I want to bless you. What's our time like? 52. It's all right. Come on.
Y'all come, let's, we got a song, we got a song in, come on up. Can we do, do our last song together too? Can we sing that together after I pray? We didn't get to announcements, but um, Caspian, if you'll throw up that QR code, do we do, are we doing the QR code thing? Have we gotten to that yet? Oh, for connect. Okay, well, if you're a guest, you can connect with us. Take a picture of that or go to kingschurch.net slash connect or fill out a card. Don't forget giving. You can please support the ministry through giving, tithing, if you can do it that way as well. Oh. Yeah, we are going to, we've not made that call yet. We'll communicate about that. I think this week we'll be off from Kingsman and we'll make a call for the rest of the month. It's the Lord's kind of calling us to look, this summer's been a little bit of a sabbatical rest for our prayer room has been on a little bit of a rest and some other things as well. So we're flexible that way. Hey, stretch a hand out. I want to bless you. I want us to receive, receive the grace of Jesus. Father, we just release the grace and peace of our captain, the captain of our faith the one who rides on a horse. The one with fire in his eyes. The one with the robe dipped in blood calling out for justice. The one who has already defeated the enemy. The battle is already won. The battle is already won. The grave has been emptied forever. And though the enemy steal our bodies, Corinthians says, we will be swallowed up in life. God, swallow us up in life today. Clothe us, God, in the immortal. Clothe us, God, in your love. Wrap us up, God, in your goodness, in your power, Lord, in your intimacy, in in just your beauty and your majesty. God, help us. So, Lord, I just release the blessing of your presence over your people right now, Lord. I pray, God, that we could be full of your spirit, beholding your your glory, eyes on Jesus. Father, just release more of your spirit on your church for this season to come, for the fight ahead, God. And like David, Lord, we will run to the battle with weapons of praise and worship and thanksgiving. These are our stones in our pocket. We run to the battle. We run to the battle because the battle belongs to the Lord. And we grieve and we suffer, but we do not grieve as those without hope because you have already defeated our enemy. You've already won. You've done it. In your reality, the dead are already raised to life. We are in that waiting. We are in that in-between. We are in that season of sadness. Fix our eyes on you. Give us a glimpse of your glory this week. Give us a glimpse of your face this week. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.